Father, we thank you that we can just be in church on this awesome, awesome day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, we just pray that that uh, resurrection power, that resurrection impact, Lord, will not just be something that happened 2,000 years ago, but God, we would just sense it in our lives today. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, turn on your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. But to those of you who have read through uh, Matthew and Mark and, and Luke and John will know that this, this weekend was just an extraordinary, extraordinary, uh, amazing, crazy weekend uh, in Jerusalem and in the whole land. Uh, when Jesus was crucified, for instance, um, total darkness covered the land for three hours. And so you imagine living at that time. And suddenly, everything is plunged into darkness. There would have been a lot of confusion going on there. And then when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies was split. And it wasn't split from the bottom as if two people had grabbed this huge, thick curtain and pulled it apart. It was split from the top down, signifying that no human could possibly have done that. And God was just signifying by that that the barrier between the holiest of holies, where he dwelt, and the holy place, the people, had been split, had been taken away. Uh, if that wasn't enough, uh, the earth shook, rocks split, and then it says that the bodies of many holy people came up out of the tombs and started walking around the city. I mean, talk about zombies return. I mean, this is the, this is the real thing. This was, this was pretty, this was scary stuff. I mean, yeah, it'd be great that Uncle Harry got raised from the dead, but boy, it'd be pretty scary at the same time. And uh, I don't know what they looked like, or whether they had resurrection bodies at that stage or whether they had decayed bodies, but uh, the mind boggles. But that's the background to where we get to in Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. And so we read this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, the soldiers had uh, sealed the tomb and placed a guard outside it because the Pharisees were scared that the disciples would come in the night, steal the body, and pretend that Jesus was raised from the dead. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white and a right robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. 
I loved it at university time because I uh, was attending an Anglican church in those days and at the Anglican church the priest would get up in all his robes on Easter Sunday and he would say, He has risen and the congregation would respond. Oh, there's a few ex-Anglicans here. <laughs> All current Anglicans. That's right. And he would say it again. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. And the shout would go out. And I, that was just so, so, so uh, uplifting. I love Easter. And not just because of Easter eggs, although I have sitting at home a Cadbury's Buttons sitting there. That's the traditional one for me. And the kids have got... Um, Floppy ears, bunnies, <laughs> chocolate bunnies uh, for them to eat. Uh, I, I love Easter not just because tomorrow is a holiday, holiday because actually it's my day off anyway, uh, but I love this day because we celebrate and focus on the central tenet of the Christian faith. The most important fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead this is the most significant fact that makes Christianity different from all of the other world religions. And although the soldiers colluded with the Pharisees and spread a rumor that the disciples had in fact come and stolen Jesus' body, it's interesting uh, that when there is a comp- conspiracy It's absolutely impossible to hold on to that lie through to death. Some of you who are a little bit older, like me, will remember the 70s. I was at university at that stage, and there was a president in the United States who had bigger troubles than Donald Trump. His name was Richard Nixon. And some of you older ones will know this, and some of you young ones won't know what has happened, but it's called the, the Watergate. Uh, affair, and what had happened was that the um, a group round Richard Nixon, uh, who, who was a Republican, decided that they would bug the Demo- Democrat headquarters at the Watergate Hotel in the lead up to the election, so they were getting all the dirt on the Democrats. Unfortunately, the five people who um, planted all the bugs and everything else, they got caught, and there was just a um, a huge scandal. Um, there was a cover-up in the Republican Party, and eventually it led to the resignation of the President of the United States. One of the chief instigators of the Watergate cover-up was a man called Charles Colson, and he ended up in jail as a result of his part in it. But he wrote, he became a Christian, and he wrote that the Watergate cover-up convinced him without a shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And this is why, this is what convinced him of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, there were only eight of us in the inner circle around the president who really knew what was going on, he said. All we had to do was stonewall for a couple of months And the Watergate scandal would be over. We had all of the power and all of the prestige of the presidency at our fingertips. And if the truth broke, there'd be an embarrassment and perhaps a prison sentence, but there was no grave danger. 
Our lives were not threatened. But we couldn't hold that lie. We couldn't hold on to that conspiracy for more than two weeks. Once prosecution was possible, the natural instincts of self-preservation were so overwhelming that the conspirators, one by one, deserted their leaders. They caved in and they stood in line at the prosecutor's office to escape jail. Coulson concludes, I know that the disciples could not perpetuate a lie like the resurrection because it was not just their reputations that were at stake, their lives were in danger. They had no clout, they had nothing to gain by the lie, and yet every one of them stood fast in the conviction that Jesus is alive. Each apostle, except John, died a martyr's death. Take it from one who saw firsthand how vulnerable a cover-up is, Nothing less than a witness as awesome as the resurrected Christ could possibly have caused those men to maintain their dying whispers that Jesus is alive and he is Lord. That comes from a guy who spent time in jail as a result of his part in a presidential cover-up. We should be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day Because it's Jesus' resurrection that reminds us that Jesus is who he said he is. And he'll do what he says he will do. In John 14 verse 6 he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one can get to the Father except by me. People will tell you there are a lot of roads to heaven. There are a lot of roads. But Jesus himself said, hey, there's only one way. And that one way is through me. He, he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because Jesus is who he says he is, he does what he says he would do. And he said he would rise again after three days, and he did. And when Jesus was buried, the Bible tells us that they placed the big rock, the stone, over the entrance to the tomb. When Jesus died, the disciples were bewildered, they were confused. They didn't know what was going on. But then when the ladies came to that tomb on that Sunday morning, the empty tomb shouted that Jesus had risen from the dead. The stone was rolled away. But what does that mean for us 2,000 years later? What does Jesus' resurrection mean? What is the Stone being rolled away, what implications can that have for us this morning? Well, that stone represented a barrier, a blockage, something that needed to be pushed aside before God's plans and God's purposes could be fulfilled. And we all have barriers and we all have blockages in our lives that need to be pushed aside if we're going to fulfill the awesome plans that God has for each and every one of us. And this morning, I just want to talk about three general areas of blockage that we all experience in our lives from time to time that can't be removed by ourselves, but God can. And he's waiting for us to ask. The first thing that I see is the, the stone of past failures. Have you ever been halfway through a project and you wish you could start over again? 
Every Monday I go out and play golf and most of the time I get to halfway and I'm thinking, oh God, I should have stayed at home with my wife. Have you ever been halfway through painting a house and you think to yourself, oh no, why did I ever attempt this? You know, people think like that about life. They get halfway through and they want to start all over again. Why is that? Well, we've all done things that we wish we hadn't done. We've all said things that we wish we hadn't said. We've all thought things that we hadn't thought. We all have regrets. And there are a lot of people who can't get on with the present or even dream about the future because they're under the stone of guilt or regret or a form of relationship that holds them captive, holds them prisoner. You know, every one of us, has been a prisoner to sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, that's every one of us have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye and say, You're a sinner. (laughs) Every one of us, every one of us, every one of us has sinned. There is no one here this morning that hasn't sinned. I was going to say, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. <laughs> but uh, no, we'll just, um, we'll just leave it at that. You get the picture. Nothing that we do of ourselves can bring about forgiveness of sin. We can't blot it out. We can't work it out. There is nothing that we can do to pay the price of our sin. Denying sin is like an ostrich burying its head in the sand when danger comes. Trying to explain it away and make excuses is just basically laughable. Actually, some of the best excuses that you'll ever hear for mistakes come from the files of insurance um, companies. And uh, have a listen to some of these that I was reading the other day. This is what one guy wrote. He said, Coming home, I drove to the wrong house and collided with a tree that I don't have. (laughs) It's a pretty good one. Another guy said, I had a collision with a stationary truck coming the wrong way. (laughs) Third guy said, The other guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. (laughs) Oh, I like that one. (laughs) I pulled away from the shoulder of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and then drove into the ditch. (laughs) Uh, In my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. (laughs) We've probably all had that one pretty close. The indirect cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. So what can remove the stone of our sin? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Hebrews 9 27. Just as a man is destined to die once, And after that, to face judgment, 
So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. I was talking to one of the guys in our congregation last week and I looked him in the eye and I said, you know, you're not going to live to 120. In fact, I said, in fact, I'm pretty sure you're not going to live to 110. And while we were joking around about (laughs) and we were laughing uh, about the situation, the reality is every one of us is going to die. It's a shame that um, we don't take more time preparing and making sure that we are ready. Colossians 3 verse 14 says, He has forgiven all our sins and cancelled every record of the debt that we owed. That is so good. That is so good. Jesus died for us so that our sins could be forgiven so that we could have a relationship with God you know if you've got a debt hanging over you you worry about that some of you who have had large mortgages from time to time and not enough income to support it will know the pressure of an unpaid debt And how difficult that is. But how many people can remember the power bill that you paid in April of last year? None of us. None of us, apart from that lady on Unforgettable, who's got a perfect memory, can remember all that stuff. Because once a debt has been paid, once a bill has been paid, we forget about it. And this morning I want to tell you that If you are worried about life, if you don't have peace in your life, it's because you don't realize that the debts that you owe can be paid. When we have our debts of sin paid, there is a peace which passes all of our understanding and it keeps our hearts and our minds focused on Christ Jesus. Jesus is saying you don't need to worry about sins that have been paid for. If God has forgiven it, then we can forget it. And regardless of who you are, regardless of whatever you've done, you matter to God. And nobody will love you more than Jesus Christ. And if you ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sin, and sin is anything that you do that goes against God's plans and God's purposes for your life, anything that God would not be proud of, If you ask him to forgive your sins, he will. And because he lives, we can receive forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, that verse tells me that every person here is just one prayer away from getting back on track with God. Just one prayer away. That's the love of God. That's the grace of God. That's his plan and purpose for each and every one of us. But not only is there the stone of past failures, but there is the stone of present problems that hangs over a lot of people. The problem for the woman in this situation was that they thought there was a stone blocking access to Jesus. People here this morning have got Stuff stopping your marriage from really working 100%. 
Some of you have got things stopping your financial blessing. Some of you have got things stopping you from knowing God's plan for your life. Some of you, there is a stone causing your job to be a burden with you. Others, there is a stone stopping you from getting your education and stopping you from being a success that you just can't, ha- you just can't help it. There is a stone stopping you from worshipping and praising God. It may be sickness that is a stone in your life. If anyone here has ever had a stone in their gumboot, it is the most irritating thing. All the farmers are saying, amen. All you want to do is stop and get rid of that stone. And I want to suggest to you this morning that those things that are a blockage in your life, you need to stop and get rid of them. Now, we don't have the power to do that for ourselves in most of those situations and circumstances. But God is the God who rolls the stone away. And it doesn't matter how big that stone is. It doesn't matter how small that stone is. Because God loves you, because God is interested in you, he wants that irritation to be gone. He wants you to break through in situations and circumstances. Because Jesus conquered death and sin and because he lives, we can be conquerors and we can get a breakthrough over the problems of life. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You might not be feeling very victorious this morning. You may be feeling as if you are surrounded by insurmountable problems that seem to be crushing you or are just unsolvable. But in every situation, there is always one more move. And that is to cry out to our God and to begin to focus on Him and His power to deliver, to save, to transform, and to move stones that are barriers in our situations and circumstances. On our own, we are no match for the wages of sin or the enemy, but in God, we can be victorious. Ephesians 1 verse 20 in the Living Bible says, How incredibly great! It's his power to help those who believe in him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. No problem that we faced is as powerful as our God. No stone is too big that God can't move. Whether it's a relationship that's gone sour. God has made us to enjoy him and to have an amazingly impacting life. We are supposed to live life to the full and maximize our potential in God and make a difference. I love the story of um, Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple Computers, when he offered the position of CEO to Pepsi chairman, John Scully. Scully wasn't really interested. He enjoyed his work at Pepsi. But Jobs went round to see him, and he looked him in the eye, and he said, are you telling me that you would rather sell sugared water for the rest of your life when you could lead a company that will change the world? Scully left Pepsi and went on to work at Apple Computers. And God puts that 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 cry to us as well. Because Jesus lives, we can have 
and impacting life. We don't need to be messing around with sugared water when we can be part of a group of people who are changing their world, who are doing things for Jesus Christ. I love what it, um, we saw in the uh, video on missions. Our missions giving is impacting situations and circumstances all around the globe. Let's start believing him and trusting him because as we see him working in our lives today, it reinforces the hope that we have for tomorrow, that God can turn those blockages into stepping stones to his future plans and purposes. And because he lives, he can also remove the stone of future fears. It's amazing, people, the number, number who are bound by fear. Uh, we used to sing, it must have been back in the 70s or the 80s, a song called Because He Lives. And it says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And all the oldies said, amen. <laughs> you see, no matter what you're facing now, you're going to be assured that God loves you, that his plans for you are for good, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29.11 says that. He has dreams that he wants to dream through you. Fears stifle faith, but trust and hope in God gives him the green light to work in us and to work through us. Jesus promises that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he is always with us, and if we would call on his name, we'd be saved. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8 says, Blessed, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Uh, Penny and I watch a program called Selling Houses Australia. Anyone seen that? Basically, there's a team of people that go into a house that's unsaleable. They do it up. And uh, then they put it on the market and they get this house sell, sold for the people. And a uh, really, really interesting program for those of you who are interested in doing things up. Anyway, the last one we watched was in Canberra. And at the time they had a water ban uh, in place because uh, Canberra was in a drought. And basically the lawns wouldn't grow. And so where there was supposed to be lawn, there was just bare patches of weeds just weeds growing up, and you can picture this dry and dusty backyard where nothing really is going to grow to any effect. But God says, forget the environment. doesn't matter what's happening around about you. doesn't matter if there's a drought in place. If you will trust in me, if you would put your confidence in me, you will be like a tree planted by the river whose leaves will still be green, who will still bear fruit 
even in the middle of a drought. And that's the confidence that we can have in God. When we place our lives in his hands, it doesn't matter what is happening on the outside because what is on the inside is going to flow out and what's on the inside is going to affect what's on the outside. And there may be a drought going on on the outside, but those who trust in the Lord will be fresh and fruitful no matter what the season is like. That's why we can have confidence in facing the future because our confidence is not placed in our own abilities. It's not placed in our own strength, our own wisdom or our own resources. But our confidence is in God who loves us so much that despite walking out on him, he gave his son Jesus to die in our place, to pay the price of our sins so that we can have life and have it to the fullest. Not only does Jesus say he will never Leave us nor forsake us, but he tells us that he's going before us. And because we know that he goes before us, we can trust him. Let's have the musicians. Please. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think some of the most fruitful times of our church have come during and after a time of prayer and fasting. And if you've never, ever uh, been through an extended time of prayer and fasting, I encourage you just to get that um, booklet that I've prepared out and it's on the table. Uh, near the info desk there, and just have a read up a little bit. It's got scriptures about um, praying and fasting. Everybody can do something. Now, because of a medical situation, you might not be able to have a, a full food fast, but you can fast some TV. And the whole point of fasting is you give up something and spend that time praying. And as we get together and pray, God answers our prayer. Prayer and fasting is powerful. And when churches, when campuses get together, God does powerful things. So I want to encourage you to take the next step in your journey with God and see what God will do. Is there something that you really fear this morning? Might be fear of dying. Realize that the resurrected Jesus Christ has gone before you. And he will take away the rock of fear from your life if you put your trust in him. The ladies who were going to the tomb asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said, don't be alarmed. You are, looking, are you, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's risen. He's risen. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning?